Hi, I'm Vernon Kay, and this is the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. This week we've got more great stuff for you from the heart of the England camp. Our special guest made his debut in this Guinness Six Nations and is loving being part of the squad. I, don't know, I think like, even at the start of the season, I never thought England would be something I'd achieve this season. A few newspapers about a few things. I had mates sending me stuff, and I was like, I was kind of ignoring it just because I just wanted to focus on Saints and then got added to a WhatsApp group, England Six Nations squad, and I was like, okay, wow, this is, uh, this is pretty crazy. Joining us this week is new kid on the block, George Furbank. They did a Stars in Their Eyes competition. And me and three other mates thought it'd be a really good idea to get together and uh, yeah, do a do a kind of take that tribute. Yeah, we were called Take This. Wow. Um. <laughs> as well as finding out more about the man behind the tash, we'll put Charlie Ewells under the pump with some quick fire questions. Describe Charlie Ewells' fashion style in three words. <laughs> Crocs with socks. Oh no! <laughs> but first, here's what happened when all two inside lines Paul Bunker. Sat down with England fullback George Furbank. Firstly, thank you very much for agreeing to speak to us on the England Rugby Podcast, Low to Inside Line. There's a question, a burning question, that the entire sporting and world community want to ask. You know what this question is, don't you? There's a few that could be, so I'm slightly nervous. <laughs> it's the Tash. It's okay. the Tash. We've got to start with the Tash. You're a 23 year old man. Sporting the facial hair of a uh, World War Two fighter pilot or similar, you've got to talk us through it. Um, well, to be honest, it's like uh, it's the only bit of decent facial hair I grow, so my beard's a bit patchy. So I thought uh, I've done November a few years in a row, and I was like, look, I don't look too bad with this. Um, and so this year did November again, and then just just, just decided to keep it. And a few of the mates uh, thought it was a good idea as well. So, uh, yeah, I stayed with it. There can't be many 23-year-olds who, who are still sporting the, the, the tash as well. I, I'm just trying to think of... Uh, Slady's got a tash. Slady's right, got one, yeah. So maybe we're bringing it back. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see a few people with tashes now. Did you see the Instagram poll on Ingram Robbie's Insta page? Yeah, I didn't actually see one of those. I, I voted for myself, though. Obviously. Well, we've got hot off the press. We've got the news in. I think it was 68% George Furbank. Okay, I'll take that. And I then, probably had a bit more growth from him, though, so we'll see. We'll see. They're probably pulling his cigar in a yeah. month or so again and see how he's getting on. <laughs> <laughs> what do you look like without a tash? Uh, young. Young. Uh, yeah. Is that part of it? A, a little bit, yeah. Well, I'd, I'd, I'd like some facial hair because I do look really young if I don't have facial hair, so uh, I'm, I'm showing off my best bit. Yeah. Your, your rugby story is quite different to the rest of the guys. We're going to come on to the movement into England in a moment. But what were you like as a, give us an idea, what were you like as a young man? What if, if we could, like, you know, look into a prism and see, say, a seven or eight year old George Furbank, give us an idea of what you would have been up to. Um, to be honest, I was probably the most outdoorsy kid. Mum like, did her best to keep me indoors sometimes, um, just like playing any sports I could. Like mum said, she used to buy me Lego and stuff like that and puzzles and I had absolutely no interest. As long as I had sort of a, a rugby ball, football or cricket bat in my hand, then, then I was happy. So um, sport's always been a big part of my life and I probably owe a lot to that. Uh, so yeah, cricket was actually my main interest, to right, be honest, okay. when, I, when I was younger. Um, and so I always wanted to be a cricketer when I was older um, and then realised they play five days and I wasn't sure I could hack that. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, turned turn to rugby and obviously... Um, I've got a bit of family history in rugby, um, not professionally, but still, I've always been always been involved in rugby. So that's kind of led me led me down that path. I saw you bowling a few balls out in Portugal a few weeks ago, weren't we? Where there was a bit of social cricket going. You got you, you pretty got like a lefty, a lefty, lefty, lefty yeah. yeah. 
left arm orthodox yeah, yeah. Um, you always need a lefty in your team so yeah. that's handy <laughs> uh, there's actually quite a few boys who are, who are big cricket fans um, and like to play as well so yeah. that's nice something did, common did you play to a decent level did you kind of progress with the cricket to a certain point uh, I just played minor counties mainly um, for my local county uh, and then had a winter season um, with Leicestershire just in the nets and stuff but I don't think it was ever something I was going to be, be able to turn professional at because the, the guy you look at the guys who do turn professional they're unbelievable at school so yeah. I was never going to I was never going to be to that level but um, I love watching it now like going to the day of the test match is, is probably one of my favourite things to do yeah. so and what were you like academically? At school, you, you were a kid that, were you bright, were you academic? Was it something that you enjoyed school? I enjoyed bits of school. I'd say more than more the friendships I made at school. Um, but yeah, I was reasonably academic. I wasn't stupid. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I did all right my GCSEs and then moved school uh, for sixth form, moved to Bedford School, um, where I did my A-levels and got ABC, so I'd take it. And what, what were your right. A-levels in? Uh, geography, biology and business studies. Wow. Actually, it's kind of yeah. I mean, you probably t- guess what the C was in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a career progression in mind at any at any point? Not not really. Um, I I applied to, for university, so because I w- still wasn't sure whether I was going to make the Saints uh, make the Saints Academy, and so I applied to uni, got a place at Newcastle to do geography. So that was kind of my plan, not knowing what I was going to do after. But yeah, that that was my plan. So last turned out a bit differently now. <laughs> We're going to start with this and then sort of track back from it. But just looking at, at your sort of history is that three years ago, you were playing club rugby, right? You were playing at uh, Cambridge, you know, the third tier of, of, of English rugby. Uh, yet five, six weeks ago, you ran out in Paris for England at fullback. I mean, for you, when you see that in black and white, and you've lived that sort of journey does that feel as crazy as it sounds when it's written on a bit of paper? Yeah, it does, to be honest. It does feel crazy. Um, probably took me a while to develop. I was never like kind of that that natural kid that stands out every game um, like some people are. Um, so it's you're kind of taking yeah, a lot of work behind the scenes um, yeah, to, to kind of get to where I am. And I owe a lot to, to the clubs that I've been on loan at, um, to Cambridge, Nottingham for a bit because that has massively helped my progression because it's the first kind of taste of adult rugby and then obviously playing in the A-League as well at Northampton and then and then slowly slowly progressing there because um, yeah. it was a slow progress and then it's kind of rocketed up yeah. so that's kind of been it's, it's been a surprise to me as it probably has to anyone else to be fair. because a lot of the guys clearly I would probably imagine 95% of the guys around you have been on the pathway in age grade rugby you know from the age maybe of 15 or 16 the likes of Marrow etc would have known been on that trajectory as well what, what was it like for you when you were that sort of age 14, 15 you clearly I imagine like all of us rugby fans, you'd had aspirations, you'd dreamt of playing for England. But would you say like talent ability wise or the level you were at, you, you were kind of way off that sort of path and sort of beat of where you should be going really? Uh, potentially, I could never, I could never really judge myself against it, to be honest, because I never played rugby at school, so that was yeah something I couldn't judge myself against. And then played at my local club, Huntingdon, and was was probably one of the one of the better players there. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, it's something like you said, I always wanted to do, but never really kind of thought I would to be able to make it. Um, even when it came to signing for Saints first year out of school, I, it was not something that I was expecting because again, the under eighteen season, I wouldn't say I stood out. I just probably did the basics well, and, and luckily they saw something in me, um, and then yeah, it signed me up. So that was that was kind of still a surprise, and then obviously you just get closer and closer to to achieving your goals. 
Mm. Are there particular people, or was there a particular year in your life, because you've just shown us a trajectory with your hand, but can you pinpoint a year or maybe some coaches that you were working with where you went from being, not wanting to be disrespectful to anyone at Cambridge, but being a good club player to someone who's then on the pathway to playing, you know, for their country? Uh, nothing specific, to be honest. Um, obviously, moving schools to, to Bedford School where I could play rugby quite a lot. It was sort of training four or five times a week. Um, and I had Barry Burgess there, who was a really good coach, and he he improved my game massively. And then worked with Paul Diggin and Mark Hopley, um, the Saints Academy, and again, they did a really good job. Obviously, Digger was uh, a bit of a Saints legend and he played in the back three. So I, I hadn't really played in the back three at that time. So again, I learned a lot from him. And then with the, with the senior coach at Northampton as well, just picking up as much as I can. And obviously now with, with Sam Vesti coming in, I probably owe a lot to him as well because I feel like he, he's had my game massively, massively come on as well. Yeah. When did the call come from Eddie? When, when did you actually... Because your, your experience at Saints is somewhat limited without wanting to be rude as well. as you know, You're not a guy who's got like, you know, 50, 60 starts for Saints. But how does that come about that you, again, the guys that have been on the pathway, they're under the England radar for all these years, aren't they, as they're coming through. But all of a sudden, there's this guy called George Furbank that you've got journalists all over the country like scrabbling through their notes going, I think I've heard him. Is he the guy at Saints with the tash that we need to think about? But um, so how does that work that all of a sudden you start appearing on Eddie and, and the coach's radar in England? I don't know. I think like even at the start of the season, I never thought England would be something I'd achieve this season. It was probably going to be I played a reasonable amount towards the end of last season um, and then this season was kind of about kicking on, trying to play as much rugby as I can for Saints uh, and luckily I had a few games at the start of the season and then I guess if, if you have a few games people start to talk um, and then yeah like a, a few newspapers put out a few things and had mates sending me stuff and I was like I was kind of ignoring it just because I just wanted to focus on Saints and, and playing as well as I can for them and then got added to a WhatsApp group England Six Nations squad and I was like okay wow this is uh, this is pretty crazy um, and then yeah it's all kicked off from there really so please tell me that you'd spoken to someone in England before you were in the WhatsApp group one that was the first you found out that you were going to be part of the English set. Was it, you just appear at NA WhatsApp group? We added to a WhatsApp group, yeah. That was wow. the first, first time I found out, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I was a few boys at the club, because five boys at Saints got selected as well. And I had messages from like Fraser, who tried to call me about five times, I think, saying yeah. what was happening. Because I think we were both in, in as much shock as, as each other. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, interesting way of finding out, but it was yeah, exciting. <laughs> and, and then I'm assuming you get, you get a WhatsApp group, and then at some stage you do get a call from somebody somewhere saying, "Look, we'd like you to come along and join the camp and get involved in those sort of things." Well, so do you remember that those initial chats with Eddie, maybe right at the start? Um, yeah, again, not not didn't really have too many phone calls. It's what was all a bit of a blur. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I had some some chats with Eddie and stuff when I came into camp. There wasn't too much before. They probably just wanted me to kind of take in the news and and be as ready as I can for when I come into camp. And so then, yeah, had had chats with them, chats with them there. They spoke to me about what they wanted to get out of me and what they wanted to see. So yeah, that was it's kind of a little bit surreal. I, I can I can well imagine. I can well imagine. It's almost like a bit of a fairy tale story. I mean, there'll there'll be there's a lot of 18, 19 year old guys that are playing rugby that clearly dream of playing for their country and. Uh, it's a real, it's a heartwarming story, you know. I'm not saying it's a fairy tale because I'm knowing how incredibly hard you work. I've seen you, you know, in camp and how hard you work. But you know, for them, it's a, it's a great tale, isn't it? That you know, it almost reminds me of Iniesta, who's a real late bloomer and developer in, in football for Barcelona. But for someone like yourself, who clearly, like all young guys playing rugby and women, they dream of playing for their country, and all of a sudden you're like, they're going, you know, 
you know, you need to be good for starters, but it can actually happen, and it, and it has happened, you know. Yeah, it can, yeah. Like, you kind of, when, you, when you're sort of 17, 16, 17, you're not involved in, in any of the England setups, you kind of, you maybe lose hope a bit, um, because you hear that being in that, being in those setups massively helps you when it comes to A, getting a professional contract, and then B, making it to the first team squad. Um, and, and it does to, to a certain extent, but there's also, yeah, late bloomers and, and as long as you keep working hard, then things might happen. And, and luckily for me, it has. Is there any way to describe that whirlwind of emotion and, and how it's been for you? And I imagine your family as well in the last probably eight, 10 weeks. Yeah. It's, it's probably not all going to sink in till, till Six Nations is done. Um, I'm just trying to, trying to enjoy every moment in camp and, and on the field um, as, as much as I can. And yeah, for, for my family, it's, it's been pretty special as well, I think. Yeah. Um, they probably enjoyed it as much as I have, to be honest, yeah. um, if not more. So yeah, it's probably as, as surreal for them as it, as it was for me to start off with. But yeah, now it's, it's, it's about enjoying it and, and still working hard and doing as best I can for England. And then I can let it all sink in, sink in when it's all done. Uh, how, how would you say you've developed in this short time as a player? Because your, your learning curve is incredibly steep, isn't it? You, know, you spoke about the last couple of years, but then probably in the last seven or eight weeks being in camp with the, with the guys. Can you tell us how you've developed as a player, where you think you've grown and developed? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's a steep learning curve in terms of, like, this is it's taken four or five years of, of working hard at different areas of my game. And, and now I've got to a stage where, where that's hopefully being recognised. So... Probably just um, an element where where I see myself as, as being good is just the basic skills, my catch pass, my my kicking game, um, stuff like that. And probably an area I needed to work on was sort of my one one on one ability, my attacking ability to to find space and um, and be able to like make yards in those spaces. Um, and so I've I've probably been. A, a bit lucky to start the start of the season, but it's also been something I've been working on with, with S&C and just in training in general. So, yeah, bringing that to my game as well has, has probably helped me. But yeah, there's, there's, there's always stuff to work on. I'm always looking to improve. Can we talk about the first test in Paris against France? An amazing occasion. I, I think France is probably the best game in the Six Nations for England. That's my own personal opinion. But can you tell me what it was like for you, you know, running out there, your... I'm just trying to imagine how you must have been feeling on that first day. You know, you've been, firstly, you're in the, in the squad, then you've been selected, then you're starting against France in Paris, looking at that French team as well. Can you give us your, your memories of the sort of build into that and, and the game itself? Yeah, again, I found out reasonably late that I was going to be starting. So it, I guess it didn't really have time to kind of, to kind of sink in and, and think about everything. But obviously your phone's going crazy to start off with. Um, with, with people congratulating you, which is which is nice, but also a little bit of a distraction. And then just yeah, going into the game, I, I was nervous. I, I mean, I get nervous before games, but this was this is probably a different level because obviously there's more, there's more pressure. You're playing for your country for the first time, but also ex- excited. Like it's it's something I've wanted to do since, since I was since I was a kid. So to have the chance to do that, I was incredibly excited. And then yeah, walking out on game day was. Was, was pretty crazy. Obviously, used to walking out in, in front of sort of 13,000 at Franklin's Gardens, and that's, that's a good atmosphere. And so then coming out in front of 80,000 people in France, it was, yeah, it was, it was crazy. It was just ridiculously loud and goosebumps, to be honest. Yeah. Did, did, did it live up to the dream? I mean, it's, it's, it's so different because as a kid, you know, I remember being a six year old kid and looking up at these guys and you were absolutely blown away, just thinking, God, it must be amazing. And then, did it feel almost a little bit fairy taleish when you're there, when you're looking around and you're singing the anthem with your arms around your teammates' shoulders? Yeah, to be honest, the anthem is probably is probably something that that I noticed that more than anything else. 
because I'd never thought I'd get the opportunity, but it was obviously something I'd wanted to do. Um, so that was kind of the moment where it's probably like sunk in. I'm like, okay, here we go now. Yeah. But then when, when the game kicks off, you cliche as it sounds, like it, it is just, it is just another game. Um, you probably think it's going to be special when you're during the game, but it's not. It's kind of, you need to focus on, on your job and, and at the end of the day, it is, it is just a game. Um, whether you're wearing a white rose or your local club team shirt, yeah, it, it's another game and you, and you try to do your best, best in that situation. I was actually in the change room post-match as well and saw your parents in there as well. So you could see clearly how much it meant to them. And I imagine for any rugby parent to see their, their child play for England and get their first cap is absolutely amazing. So f- first of all, what, what was it like for you when you must have seen them in the stand and then when they joined you for that first cap after the game? I mean, it's your heart's pounding on, imagine, tears in your eyes. Yeah, it's to, uh, luckily I didn't see them in the stands during the anthems because um, <laughs> I'd have probably done what Lewis did. Um, <laughs> But, uh, no, seeing them, seeing them after the game was, was amazing. Kind of to, to share that experience with them. Yeah, it was really special because, uh, I, I owe a lot to them for taking me on my rugby journey and especially dad for a driving me to, to everywhere. And he was a big rugby player as well. So kind of I was down at the local rugby club from, I don't know, before I could walk. So mm. no, I owe a lot to both of them. Um, and so yeah, I was, it was amazing to, to share that experience with them. And in, and in Paris as well, you're one of your old childhood coaches. I literally, I'm imagining he probably bought tickets for the game before he even knew you were playing in that game. Uh, definitely before you knew you were playing in that game as well. But then you saw, uh, Mike up there. What, what was that like for you to, to see him and connect with him? Yeah, I, I was really annoyed because I didn't get to see him after the game. I had drug testing, so that was, that was a bit gutting. But to, but to know he was there and, and supporting again was really nice because he, he coached me from sort of probably the age of 10 to 17. So he'd taken up a lot of my childhood rugby wise. Uh, and so yeah, to have, to have him there again was special probably for both him and me. What was the, um, feedback like from your teammates who three years ago you were playing with on a Saturday afternoon on, dare I say it, probably slightly substandard pitches. And three years later, you're running out at Stade de France in front of 80,000 people. I'm imagining those guys and the messages you're getting in from all of those guys, they must be just kind of literally jumping up and down, you know. What, what was the feedback you got from that? <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, there, there were a lot of messages coming through, just, just boys happy for me, which is, um, which is really nice. Uh, I think, They've kind of seen my journey as well, um, especially at Cambridge. I think, yeah, those boys, they've seen my journey over the years. So um, to get messages from them was really nice. Um, and even like our old old teammates that went from a young rugby club and stuff, um, I still keep in touch with quite a lot of those now. So, yeah, it's, just, it's nice hearing from everybody and, and how happy and proud they are. Hi, I'm Emily Scarrett and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. We'll be back with George in just a tick, but we thought it would be rather nice to catch up with another of the newish faces in camp. So Paul put England lock Charlie Ewells under the microscope with a round of quick-fire questions. I've got some quick-fire questions, Charlie, so these are kind of quick. Get the brain going. Here we go. If you could hear one music track ever again for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? Bohemian Rhapsody, Queen. It was different. I like the film and I like Freddie Mercury. Brilliant. Uh, what's your favourite place on earth? Oh, God. I like Dartmoor. Okay. Yeah, I like going walks on Dartmoor. If you could swap bodies with any other player in the camp for a day, who would it be and why? Uh, I'd swap with Will Stewart because I'd like to have a mullet for the day. Nice. Good line. Uh, what's your spirit animal and why? I... 
reckon a. I think, well, I, I see a lot of myself in my dog, so German Shepherd. Okay. What would be your dream sporting ticket? Probably, I'd say I played basketball when I was a kid, so, you know, game seven, playoff, the NBA. So wow. Big game. That would Madison be, Square Garden. Yeah, just like that. Madison Square Garden. Just the whole American sport is just so over the top. I think that, yeah, that'd be brilliant. Uh, when was the last time you were starstruck? Oh, yeah, Prince Harry came into camp and he was a really normal guy that had a posh voice which wow. was quite there we go. Yeah. Uh, what's the best bit of advice you've ever been given with great power comes great responsibility Spider-Man <laughs> I was thinking oh, is, is that Nelson Mandela Muhammad <laughs> Ali no it's Spider-Man okay uh, the best person in the England squad to go on a road trip with Ollie Thorley really yeah knows everything about everything okay yeah. in a good way or kind in a good, of, no no in a really good in way in a good way okay uh, what's the thing that you couldn't go on a tour without so when you're packing your kit your small kit your own personal effects to come here my phone so that I have access to my Clash of Clans account okay you're hitting that hard game at the moment yeah yeah At, what, what, give us an idea what would you do half an hour a day on that or yeah 20 minutes I just little often okay uh, describe Charlie Yule's fashion style in three words <laughs> Crocs with socks. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's terrible. Thank you very much. If you want more where those insights came from, be sure to listen back to the special episode with Charlie a few weeks ago. Back now to Paul and George without John and Ringo in camp. Uh, what are you like away from rugby then, George? Give us an idea of the man away because... Uh, you know, you've had a bit of a whirlwind few years, but what, what do you do to take yourself away and to unwind and let the mind relax and, and take the body and mind away from the sport? Yeah, for me, unwinding, relaxing is quite important because yeah, I, f- I feel like I need that away, away from rugby. So my first year in professional rugby, I just spent watching Netflix most of the time, to be honest, which yeah, <laughs> I felt like my brain was wasting away. Um, so I, I need to get back studying again. So I'm doing Open University, uh, which is six years, obviously part-time. Um, geography and environmental science so that takes up quite a lot of time some of it's interesting some of it's not <laughs> yeah what's the desire there at the end of the open university or clearly to have a degree but have you got a, like a career path that you're kind of thinking sort of post- I'm, i've not got a set in stone career path no um it's again it's just something that i can put on the cv it's something i enjoyed at school and then to have a degree alongside alongside playing rugby is is probably something pretty decent to have on the cv so i did it for that reason and boredom reasons <laughs> and so yeah it's, it's nice to kind of keep keep the brain ticking over but there's nothing specific i've kind of got my mindset on for after rugby yet what are you like socially uh, do you kind of uh do you enjoy coffees with the guys? What do you like to do sort of physically at the moment? As yeah, well? I mean, like, I'd hate to see how much money I've spent on coffees over the last five <laughs> years, to be honest. There's a lot of uh, a lot of social coffees that go on, playing cards, things like that. Just, I mean, not have a catch up with the lads because you see them every day, but still you just, you go for a coffee and yeah. and sometimes have a sap, which is, which is nice, get stuff off your chest, which is nice to do sometimes. <laughs> I'm quite a big film guy. Got an unlimited card at City World, a real cool. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, have you, what have you seen in recent times that you would recommend or something that sort of floated your boat? I've seen 1917. That was real good. Um, good war film. Different to Saving Private Ryan, but a real good war film. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd recommend that to anyone. When you say you're a film guy, are you in, from a sort of narrative story or are you into sort of like looking at the production of the film? Are you into maybe different genres of the film? Is it, or are you just kind of being a darkroom 
with a massive screen and, and great sound. Yeah, no, I'm not as much for noise as like looking into cinematography and, and stuff like that, but um, I do appreciate when when that's good. I'm, I'm not as basic as some guys like, oh, do you want to see action films and guns <laughs> and stuff? Yeah, I'm not <laughs> like that. <laughs> but no, I kind of, yeah, all sorts of genres. If it's, if it's a good film, um, yeah. like like my Disney. Yeah, um, like Disney. Like, like my Disney, like my musicals, um, but then love like a, a thriller or an action film as well. Yeah. Um, we actually had, we have a, a Fajita Wednesdays group. So me, Alex Mitchell, who's in camp, Fraser Ding was in camp, and then Dave Ribbons. Uh, every Wednesday, kind of get together, cook yeah. fajitas or something like that. Yeah. Um, if it's summer, Dave will, Dave will get his bra out because he's South African. He's good on there. Yeah. Uh, and then stick on a film. Um, and it tends to be in, in a thriller category. So yeah. uh, I've watched plenty of those recently. What's your, have you got any sort of secret recipe or any secret ingredients you'd add to your fajitas to try and spice? I mean, I'm, I'm imagining that after the four of you have done a month of it, it could start to get a little bit yawn. Here we go again. So are, are you guys constantly looking to sort of improve your sort of fajita game? Uh, I wouldn't say improve the feet again. We do like to mix it up though. So we have burgers sometimes. It's, it's normally like feel good food on a Wednesday. Okay. Um, cause Thursday's normally the hard training day at Saints. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you kind of, yeah, feel good <laughs> food to get yourself ready for that. So we, we do mix it up a little bit. I think we, we have invitations every now and then. So if one of the lads can't make it, then one of the boys will, will get invited and yeah, maybe try and change things. But no, we like to keep it pretty, pretty basic, pretty simple. What about music as well? I mean, I've got it in my notes here. I take that tribute group. I mean, I've got it in the notes, so it's got to be true, right? I blame so you, my sister for this. She, you're she's gonna absolutely thrown me under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna have to, you're going to have to talk us through it. Yeah, no, it was just, I can't remember how old we are, probably 13, 14 at school, and they did a Stars in Their Eyes competition, mm. and me and three other mates thought it would be a really good idea to get together and, uh, yeah, do a, do a kind of take that tribute. Yeah, we were called Take This, pretty original. Wow. Um, <laughs> uh, what song did we say? We sang, we sang Shine. I'm not going to give you any rendition now. You sure. <laughs> yeah, well, who are right. you? Who are you in the take that? We, we didn't really have, uh, we, yeah, we weren't really anyone to be honest. Oh, disappointing um, that. Yeah, I know it's a bit disappointing really. I was on the left, so whoever stands on the left. Yeah, well, where, we, where on the you see him maybe? Kind of like a Mark Owen sort of role maybe? Probably. A bit of, bit of like a, a, a backup to Gary Barlow, but also he's got his own songs to take that, right, hasn't okay. he? So, yeah. Yeah, I'd say I, I was probably the worst singer out of the, out of the, the other three as well. Which, and I think I think two of our mics only worked, and one of them was mine. So uh, the crowd were in for a right treat. Right. Yeah. What was the uh, what was the reception like? Take was this a short lived thing? Did I was take just, this go anywhere? Did it kind of ever? Uh, not really. No, we I, we sang twice I think or three times okay and that was the last of that that yeah. was enough yeah that, that was enough for everyone but probably enough but you gave everyone. it a go you get you know you, you no exactly yeah you know. I gave it a go yeah <laughs> <laughs> well you, you listen you got as a young guy you got to try everything right you never know what career is going to take off from take this surely your first song on the bus when you you actually get your first cap for England everyone's asked to get on the bus and sing a song and clearly the obvious path here is that you bring some of the magic that you you delivered would take this and put it onto the team bus so Please tell me that happened. Well, but luckily they gave me a week to do it because I didn't do it after the France game. I did it after the Scotland game. Right. Um, but no, I, I didn't do, I didn't do take that. I think the, my, my voice broke. So <laughs> that didn't help. Uh, What'd you go for? No, I just did American Pie. Tom oh, McLean. Okay. Yeah, a bit of a classic. People know it. So it's, did it's you get an easy one to do. Were you, did they leave you at the front sort of soloed up and doing it or did they all jump in and, and no, I've got They make you feel as awkward as possible, don't they? So <laughs> <laughs> there was, there was silence for the majority of it and a, a little bit of joy again at the end. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're nearly there actually. Just want to bring it back round to the rugby as well. So 
Two caps for England now, 23 years old, well kind of focusing at Northampton, having a fantastic season and run under Chris at the moment as well. What sort of targets do you give yourself going forward from here? Because it's kind of, from the outside looking in, it all looks very, very rosy, you know, but for you personally, I was looking to grow and develop. How, how do you sort of manage that? Yeah, I know I've got a lot to work on in my game um, still. Um, and even the areas I feel like I'm good at, I know need improving um, to, to be the best player I can be um, and to, to make myself uh, now a regular in, in the team. Obviously, I'd like to play as much now in the rest of Six Nations and then focus goes back on back onto Northampton. Um, and playing as well as I can for them because obviously Mal's come back now he's looking to hit some form again um, so that's that's kind of exciting for, for both of us I think um, so yeah the focus will go back there after this so just yeah as, as long as I keep improving that, then I'm happy as if as soon as I become stationary everyone else is improving so um, that's when I kind of take a backward step so yeah as long as I keep striving to get better then, then that's the main thing So there you have it, the inside line on England's George Furbank. Don't forget to leave us a rating and a review to let us know what you're making of this series. Your comments go a long way in helping other England fans find the pod too, so we really do appreciate it. Thank you. Keep an eye out for another pod dropping next week, or better still, hit subscribe now so you don't miss any of the action. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.